0: at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Okay, here we go. What you think about, you will bring about, the mental change, we will, we will. Hi everyone. I'm Lori LeBay with Alzheimer's Speaks Radio and I'm gonna be your host. And I am thrilled that you can join us today. If you enjoyed our opening music, it's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band. And you can download that actually on any of your favorite music platforms if you like. For those of you that are new to Alzheimer Speaks, we are about sound information, not just sound bites. And we like to talk with real people in the trenches, so those diagnosed those caring for them that are family and friends to professionals, researchers, singers, songwriters, authors, movie directors, advocates, you name it. You are welcome on the show. We don't think we can make sustainable change unless we are inclusive of everyone. Now, before we get to our guests, I always like to do a little bit of housekeeping. So I want to give a couple of shout outs. One is to the Memory Cafe Directory. Um, that is a place that is hopping and changing right now because a lot of the memory cafes, which are a support group, basically, you are gathering for people with dementia and their care partners are starting to open back up. Some were virtual and some just went offline um, totally. So go to, Memory Cafe directory for more information there. You can also check out Dementia Map which I am a co-founder of and that is a place where everything dementia is welcome. So we have a variety of resources 150 different categories for people to search. It is free to use. There is no sign in. No personal information has to be given and those that have resources, products and tools to share they can sign up either for a free listing, or we do have a couple of enhanced listings as well. And then uh, Coral Health is still allowing people to download two of their apps for free. That is Coral Faith and Music First. So go to Coral Health, that's C-O-R-O health.com. I also um, want to highlight on August tenth, I will be doing an online presentation for Artists Senior Living. It is free and it's entitled Conscious Compassionate Care for the Care Partners. And we're going to talk about some of those things people don't like to talk about and how can you get the most out of this role, keep your sanity and deal with your emotions and tasks and life in general. And then also November 2nd, Together for Dementia is having an international conference and I will be speaking on that as well. That is through the research charity Brace and you can find more information on both of those events on alzheimerspeaks.com. We're going to hear from the footbar walker and we'll be right back.
1: Introducing the life changing footbar walker.
2: I'm Peggy from Danville, Kentucky, and I'm ninety-one years old. The Foot Bar Walker revolutionized my care of George. It absolutely benefits the patient and the caregiver both, and that's the beauty of it. It's so easy to use. It folds up just like a dream. I got it in and out of the car without any effort at all. The saving that I made from having to put him in a nursing home came to about hundred and ninety-two thousand dollars.
1: Does someone you love use a walker? Do they struggle?
0: To introduce you to our guest today, and I'm really excited. We have Ann Scott with us, and she is the mother of five children. She was diagnosed with vascular brain lesions, multiple sclerosis, and uh, fibromyalgia. So she has the trifecta. Her whole life changed when she became more aware of the lack of understanding about dementia. And she decided that she'd like to write a children's book to help raise awareness. And she has also turned to poetry to express her feelings. And one of her poems is called Leaving You, and it was published in a book called Silent Voices. Anne lives with her 10-year-old daughter, Evie, who is her care partner, and she's currently working on more, Evie's Mummy, and Sizzling Bacon Adventures. Now, in addition to Anne, we also have Anastasia Ackers. And she's a theater maker, a writer, and a facilitator who works in North Wales. And she likes to explore personal and political opinions. She is passionate about co-creation and she leads the Outside Lives Green Room Initiative exploring how arts can be tools for social change. So welcome ladies. I am so thrilled to have you both with us today. It's always nice to get international perspectives and so again thank you so much for your time. And I can't wait for our conversation to start. Okay, so I always like to to begin by asking my guests one simple question, and that is have you been personally touched by dementia with yourself, your family, or circle of friends? And Anne, I'm gonna let you take that first if you don't mind.
2: Yes. Um, several years ago I was diagnosed with cerebral vascular osteosclerosis, which I was told was vascular dementia. And to be honest, we were totally devastated. I was 46 at the time I had children. Tiana would have been 13 or 14 at that time and Evie was roughly about five. And I was a single parent. So it was all quite devastating and shocking. It was the last thing I ever expected because I was told I was going to have to go for a brain scan because I was collapsing a lot. And having memory problems and feeling sick and dizzy and so on. So then I originally thought I had a brain tumour. And then they came back with the cerebral atherosclerosis. So that was a nightmare a couple of years. And whenever I was in seeing a neurologist and he told me this, he said that he thought I might have multiple sclerosis as well. So waited for the six weeks for the results for that to come back. And that came back as a second, progressive multiple sclerosis and a year after that then it was fibromyalgia so it was a pretty rough time for the whole family um
0: I can't imagine I mean that's it's hard enough with one diagnosis and then three major diagnoses and a small child at home and being single I mean that's that is a lot So um, kudos for you coming out the other side and raising awareness and in empowering others um, through, through your journey. I really, I really respect and honor that. So thank you. Anastasia, how about you? Have you been personally touched in, in your life uh, by dementia?
1: Yeah. So my uncle um, who's an artist is currently living with the condition. Um, He sort of, spent his life caring for his daughter really his daughter had a number of health problems um, and then she passed away in 2016 2017 time Um, and then shortly after that he was diagnosed with dementia so um, my auntie is currently his full-time carer
0: Thank you for sharing Um, and I'm going to start out with you because you have um, written this book um, and I, I always love to ask people a how did you come to write the book and how did you pick your title because your title is kind of like, well, who would have thought, you know, so why don't you tell us the title of the book and then um, how you came to write it.
2: Well, the title of the book is called sizzling bacon so. It doesn't relate to dementia in any way whatsoever, and it is a bit surprising for most people. But I wrote the, the book for my children because my baby daughter didn't know anything about dementia. And a lot of the books that I found were at the early stages for granny and granda and just very few details were we already passed that stage. And a lot of the other stuff that you get on the internet was too complicated for so, I tried to write the book for Evie uh, to begin with, and then she liked it and thought, right, well, if it's helped her, it can maybe help a lot of other people. So, sent it to a publisher. And Sizzling Beacon came about because I needed ways of writing the book and getting all the facts in there about dementia, but also having it that children would like the book and find it interesting. So it started off with snowflakes because they're all individual and there's no two identical snowflakes which represents the people and Sizzling Bacon was a sandwich that they're eating on the way to the park and with all the magic, Sizzling Bacon came alive and he's actually a character in the book and he just took over the book. It wasn't planned that way. It was supposed to be all about the snowflakes but he just grew his own character and took over the whole book And and then I just after... Because I thought the book should really be called Gaby's Mama. And then I just thought, no, I can't call it that anymore. It has to be called Sizzling Bacon. It's his book. So <laughs> I even talk about him like he's a person now.
0: <laughs> okay, great. Well, thanks for sharing that. What What effect did your diagnosis have on
2: all of your children? Um, shock. They just couldn't. They, they obviously knew I was very ill, but they didn't know what dementia was and they had nobody to ask Uh, none of their friends knew anything about it whenever my elder daughter was going to school her teachers didn't know anything about it Um, some of them didn't understand why she was missing out in school because there was times I couldn't get out of bed at all and she would obviously have to get up and take her wee sister to school and help around the house and so on. So we get into quite a fair bit of trouble with the school over her absenteeism. And she lost a lot of friends over it because she couldn't go out and play. Uh, It was just a really bad time. Our grades fell back in school. There was no support anywhere for any of us. We were all just trying to get through it the best we could. And eventually we got in touch with Bernardo's Young Carers Service and they came out, talked to Tiana, befriended her, um, give her lots of information and took her out so she could socialise with other children as well, which was really very, very good because up until then she was just, it's hard to explain, but she had nobody and nothing and I felt so sorry for her, even though we became closer through it all, we all have, its it divided her from all her friends and her life. Um, Evie now she's she grew up with it she said she was only five whenever I was diagnosed so she's grown up with it and she knows uh, if I don't remember somebody's name or if I forget to do something she knows why I don't cook anymore and she, because she's lived with it she accepts all of that and doesn't feel anything different the only thing with Evie would be she's scared to leave me she won't go and have overnight sleeps with her friends because um she's scared of something happening to me. I and mean, a real friend said to her the other day, do you want to come to my house for dinner? And she says, No, because my mummy would be here in Rome And I says, No, Evie, it's okay. Go and have dinner with your friend because I've got my phone. If anything happens, I can ring you. And the school is now actually very, very good because they will let Evie keep her phone on in school for emergencies, which we both really appreciate because it gives her that wee bit of confidence to go to school, knowing that she has that link to me. So it's all been very hard for them not having anyone to talk to at all.
0: Yeah, I, I can only imagine. My uh, my daughter only knew my mom with dementia. And that started like when she was like three, and mm-hmm. they were just like two peas in a pod, you know. But again, like your daughter, she just accepted this is this is the role and this is this is what's going on and. uh And yet my daughter didn't have um, that full responsibility that your daughter is feeling. And and so I can imagine the heaviness of that, making sure that her her mom stays safe and, you know, that she's her protector in in playing that role. So I am glad to hear that there's some support and a little, um, uh, you know, some some remedies to alleviate that um, that heaviness for her and I know it's out of love to do but it's got to be hard on you knowing that your your child is feeling like she can't be a child at times as well Um, with that even though you're probably closer than maybe a normal mom and daughter are I mean though it's just that whole weighing out of everything that occurs How has it changed your life? I mean, it it had to just toss it up in the air and spin it around, I would imagine.
2: Yeah, everything changed. Um, I lost my job, lost my car, lost friends, lost my social life. Everything just changed. I think I went through the first year with total shock and depression um, because there was nobody there to turn to at all and everybody that was there for me didn't really understand the dementia side of things and my mother was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer six weeks after I got diagnosed with my illness and hers was terminal and they gave her a few weeks to live Um, but they'd done the operation and the the tumour was I had grew around and they couldn't remove the tumour so she carried on fighting for three years and the whole time through it you know she i came in one day and she was sitting crying and i says to her, mommy why are you crying and she says i feel so bad because you have had no help through this whatsoever he says i've got all the help all my benefits all my money People come and do need this, do need that. It's been amazing. She says the help and support I've got, and you've got nothing, and I won't even be here to help you anymore. And my heart just broke for her. You know, it really did because, and that's the way I feel about my children. So I, knowing the responsibility that she felt for me, I tried to make my children be. Yes, I'm the one that's ill, but as I've we've spoken before, I'm still the mother. They're still the children. We're friends. You know, we, ha- we try and have it all in a big role all together for all of us to be happy through it. And then my diagnosis changed. They took away the first diagnosis and then said, that no, you don't have the cerebral vascular anymore. You now have chronic small vessel ischemia. And that was three years after living with the first diagnosis. And then that changed everything again. But for me and the children, nothing really changed because everything else is still the same apart from the name of the illness. So it's been very traumatic for all of us.
0: Wow, you've really been through the ringer. And it's not uncommon though for those diagnoses to change and in- You know, every time I talk to somebody, I mean, here here in the States, there was a a big change where everyone was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And then they came back and said, no, you have mild cognitive impairment. And people would say, there's nothing mild about this. My symptoms haven't changed. And they were just really angry because it really had to do with benefits and what they could receive and uh, for support. And they were really angered by that. And rightfully so. And I think it also... Um, raised to the forefront of the consciousness of what we call things. You know, you come and live with these symptoms and you think if they're mild, you know, um, that that's not how a person living with that stuff feels. And, you know, they're learning, you know, the medical field is learning so much more, but they don't prepare you for the most part that your diagnosis could change. And that is something that they should talk about. That, you know, this isn't unusual or some people are really lucky and they get two types of dementias. you know, that they're dealing with, um, you know, those are things that should be talked about up front so it doesn't just kind of throw you into the back seat and you start all over again. Um, We've got a long ways to go all around the world in terms of how we how we deal with this. What would you like to see concerning your book and and how have people reacted to it so far? I know I've seen a lot of posts on social media and just all kinds of positive accolades and, and people seem to really be be loving it. Um, but you know, what are your thoughts to the response and, um, and w- where do you see the book going in the future?
2: Um, well, I was delighted with the response. I said I wrote it for Evie and didn't expect it to go as far as it went. So to have all those comments coming back saying how good it is and how much people have learned from it was really amazing. I mean, even some people that had knew nothing at all about dementia came back to me and says, no, I understand this a lot better now. And I understand it from both points of view which is why I wrote the book the way I did, because I wanted people to see it from the person living with dementia's point of view and from the carer's point of view, because a lot of the times it's one side or the other and I wanted them to see from both sides. So I was glad that I was able to do that in the book for people to read it in that respect. So the comments have all been fantastic for the book. Um, What I would like to see happen with the book. um, Well, there's a second book coming, so there is, it's almost finished. Um, I would like to see the book going into all the schools to teach all children about dementia, about empathy, about um, diversity, all those mental health, all comes to it. Have a program run for schools that teaches about all of that. And once you teach about dementia, I mean, I can cover all illnesses because you know symptoms no matter what illness you have everybody's got symptoms and problems and needs help now and again so that would be my goal of seeing that in all skills to help all the children because once you help all the children you're helping all the adults too
0: oh exactly um now you know here in the states we have our, our libraries have actually created sections in the libraries just for dementia. Have they done that where where you guys are located? I'm not sure. I don't know. Okay. We're still
2: in lockdown here, so we. Can't, I haven't even seen my book in the shop yet, so okay. I don't know. That Do would be any-
0: something to to ask and even to to let the the libraries here in the states know about because they. They have, you know, they have sections now that are dimension caregiving related, because otherwise you're like scratching your head. Do I go to self-help? Do I go to the medical section? Where do I go? And um, a lot of them are creating kits that people mm-hmm. can pick up like they have kits for kids that you can pick up with with different things to engage. So it usually has a piece for um, engagement. It'll have a musical piece and then it has an educational piece in it. Um, Some of them have um, gotten specific with um, early, middle, and late stage. Some are going with uh, FTD, vascular, and the different types of dementia. Um, Some are doing them for children, for education. Uh, So I, I think that book could be really popular here in the States because they are embracing that. Our library systems happen to have grant money, so... We started, I believe, the first one in um, where I live um, in the Roseville area in Minnesota, and that librarian was part of our dementia-friendly group. And then she posted an article about what she did in their like library journal, and then others started applying. And I know up north here in Minnesota, I want to say they got like $90,000, and they did 10 different libraries. To get them set up but it's so cool that they're doing this and it's just making it so much easier and you know once it gets into the libraries then getting into the schools which is really badly needed um i know i've done educational programs and i haven't for years now but i was doing them in the schools and i would do um a kind of interactive things um, just on aging and then i ended up started talking more about de- dementia And it was shocking how many kids are dealing with this in their families, if it's their parent, if it's a grandparent or an aunt or uncle, um, but they notice how the family dynamics have changed. And yet a lot of times, like your kids are very involved, um, but in a lot of families, that's not shared. And the kids are sitting back going, why aren't I so important anymore? And they don't really know, but they can feel everything has gotten um, shook up. And yet they can be great assets in terms of they want to help and they're creative. And so we have to let them in and, you know, that helps everybody. And then there's been some schools where they have said, gosh, they have groups for everything else. Why can't we have a support group? And so they've marched into their principal and said, hey, we want to have a group that is, uh, you know, for kids dealing with dementia as well. So, you know, we're seeing things change. I've been in this space a little over 10 years, but really the, the huge movement, I've just seen change in the last five, and then COVID kind of went, ah, put the brakes on everything, and now we've got to pick it up, but in the meantime, we're going virtual, which is, I think, expanding the reach in a lot of ways, too, so kudos to you, and I think the children's book is something that initially was kind of undervalued, but I, I have a book in me, too, called Betty the Bald Chicken. And my Uh whole thing, you know, when I've talked to people, they're like, well, what would it be? Is it a children's book? Is it an adult's book? And I'm like, it's a book adults will buy for their children, but the children are going to teach the parents and the adults how to be not so discriminatory you know, Mm -hmm. through this and you're going to be able to talk about caring and empathy and all of those things. So, you know, I think it's brilliant to get those young kids involved because they see through very different glasses and they're very powerful little beings that have great ideas. And if we can, if we can change it at that level, You know, everything's going to be different in 20 years, 10 and 20 years as they grow up. It's going to be a lot better for for everybody. So kudos for writing Sizzling Bacon. I think that that is is fantastic. Anastasia, I want to talk to you because I wanted to know when you
1: first heard about
0: her book and
1: how did that affect you yeah so there was actually a couple of different facets to hearing about Anne's book um number one is as outside lives we were connected to Anne on Facebook um and our managing director Lucy noticed a post that Anne had put up about the book um, and said gosh look at this you know it looks really really amazing and like something that we haven't seen done before which is a book that explains dementia to children um, and at that time we were working on um, a project called Singing in the Rain um, with um, a local activist here called Teresa Davis who was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's when she was 59. Um, initially that was going to be a play um, and then Covid Ooh. put the sort of the brakes on that and we had to sort of look at how we can virtually uh bring that world to life and as part of that um, we ordered Anne's book a message to saying can we please sit down and interview you um, and hear more about Sizzling Bacon Um, because essentially the first time I read it through and that moment when Evie holds this magic dust in her hand I could just feel the tears just sort of just down my face and I was like oh my gosh because it was such a a magical moment that was filled with lots of hope and love I think and sometimes when we talk about dementia we we can sort of look over the fact that that person is still here is still with us now um and I guess the book and its different perspectives as well um really excited us um so that was how we first heard of sizzling bacon and
0: so yeah, I can see how he kind of
1: took over the story.
0: Not too many bacon's have legs, so yeah, he's on the move <laughs> in, in creating there. Now, you guys have worked on projects and stuff together prior, is that correct? And you know, Anastasia, can you tell us what that what that has um, looked like?
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, so the previous project was called Singing in the Rain, um, and there were a, a lot of different facets to that project. So one was what we were working on with Teresa. Uh, which became a series of short films called The Hopeful Gardener about her journey with early onset Alzheimer's. We then had podcasts with Anne talking about Sizzling Bacon um, and uh, Vanessa Van Leard, who runs the um, Dementia Awareness Group in Denbyshire County. Um, And we also sort of had lots of... um, resource sharing and things over the week that we were sharing that. So, um, yeah. So essentially, um, following on from that, we then reapproached approached voluntary services council, um, who offered different pots of money, um, for dementia awareness raising and said, could we look at developing a program, a pilot project for the schools here? Uh, they said yes, and we are currently just working on that now virtually and what that will look like. Um, but it's pretty exciting. Um I don't know if there's anything else you want to say about that and there about um about how it that's going.
2: I just can't wait for it all to come out. It's we've all been in the background working away on ideas of how to bring it to the children, how to have the book incorporated in it with um Activities that the children can do while they're doing this course, so that they can get more involved in it. I mean, we're trying to show them. Uh, one of the things we're going to do is the orange and peel all the layers away, so that they can see what it's like. Um, they're hopefully going to be getting t-shirts and maybe certificates, and there's lots of wee things. Um, we're I don't know whether I'm allowed to say this or not. But hopefully we're going to be doing a TikTok, just all these wee things to get the children all excited about it and want them to talk about dementia and being not frightened of it because once they read the book, I don't there's nothing in that book. I had Bernardo's Young Car Service read the book and they reviewed it and wrote an excellent review and there's nothing in it at all that will actually scare children. It's all just to educate in a gentle, funny way. So really excited about taking it into the skills. I just hope that to come back and give us a bigger pot of money to put it into even more skills.
0: <laughs> so what age are you targeting?
1: We're looking at sort of, um, so for us, it's kind of year four and five, which is kind of eight, nine, ten year olds. Um with the idea that potentially if we've got that as our baseline as sort of if we if we format the pilot around that then we can scale it down for younger ones and then upscale it for older ones so to go in at that sort of eight nine ten gives us the scope later to modify things depending on on different age groups
0: oh that's smart that's smart that is so exciting because it, it is such a need. And I have this belief, like when I speak and train, I call it emotional based training. I don't think people change until they feel a need. till it's really a heart need. Like here in the States, nobody wore seatbelts. People smoked all of those things until their kids started coming home and yanking on them going, you need to put on your seatbelt. You know, we have to wear our seatbelt. You need to you shouldn't be smoking. We learned that in school and people changed habits because of these little ones. And they wanted to honor their relationship with their little ones. And so I think it's a brilliant, I I, I think it's just a great spot to start with. um, And that you've targeted kind of mid-age so you can go both ways with that. I I think that's going to be really, really a very, very powerful curriculum. And I think like Anne said, you know, pretty much everything that you learn for dementia is good for all of life. Treating a person with dementia And the skills that you have there, you can use for everybody. You know, it's about inclusivity. It's about accepting. It's not necessarily about fixing, but it's about supporting. And, you know, I have a story from when my daughter was in, I want to say it was kindergarten or first grade. I think it was first grade. And we went in for her conference and the teacher said, oh, your daughter is just so brilliant. She just helps everybody in class. And I kind of giggled and, uh, I said, "Well, that's nice, you know, but what does she what does she do that's so different?" "Well, you know, this little girl over here, she's a little slow, and so she kind of helps her, and then we've got somebody here in a wheelchair and you know, she's right over there to help maneuver them around." And I just started laughing and she's like, "Well, what's so funny?" I'm like, "My kid's not special. My kid just hasn't learned that those kids are different." She just wants somebody to play with. And I think that's the brilliance that especially our young children have is they haven't been taught that somebody is different. They just accept people. And so when you can when you can share that in a fun story and engaging exercises, that energy just bubbles out of them. And like I said, it really opens up adults eyes as to why is that happening? And it it makes us look inside of oh I didn't I didn't know I was treating somebody different <laughs> or you know and they'll call you on stuff because they just they just see it as real black and white and uh, so I think it's a wonderful wonderful place to start. Um, I also wanted to ask you Anastasia about how you feel about how the arts can contribute to the discussion around dementia related conditions as well.
1: Yeah, I think it, it comes. Um, down to kind of what you were saying there about people won't change unless they feel something, unless there's a connection, an emotional connection somewhere. And I think the art has that power to take something from the page or something from, um, I don't know, a journal or something, and to bring that alive into into a world that people can step in and out of and reflect I guess upon the human experience um you know big sort of bigger journeys bigger questions and things and and I think that specifically around sort of um any of the conversation around dementia um it is that um as you say you know treating people with empathy being inclusive um you know anything that um it, anything that goes for dementia goes for a whole host of other conditions and and other societal conversations as well um you know the more empathy that we have and the more um we treat people as individuals people who've got their own journeys their own goals and things um that and i think the arts has that sort of that power as I said you know when reading that moment when Evie holds that magical dust and feeling that that oh that is, that that connection to a to another world almost I think the the power there in in it, it sort of elevates I guess any discussion around it because if people have connected emotionally to it all of a sudden it that conversation becomes a bit wider it becomes a bit wider okay if that's happening here how can how does that affect my day-to-day life what can I do in my day-to-day that means when I'm leaving when I've put this book down or when I'm leaving the theatre how am I going to carry that with me um which I think is 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 needed I guess in sort of today's society i think
0: Do you see where it could be a one or two act play
1: yeah i would love to see sizzling bacon on stage i feel like that magic there and how that world could be brought onto the sort of the stage and into um a, a show for families would be quite magical
0: I think there's been a few one act plays going around here and they are, they are just heartwarming and engaging. And then it allows you to have a talk back afterwards. And, you know, I always tell people, I guess I have, I have a film that I I bring around and we do a talk back and communities and and organizations always want to do a panel afterwards and they want to talk at the audience. And I'm like, no, You need to let the audience talk and download about their feelings and their experiences of what they saw all of those resources those panelists you're thinking about they can be in the hallway you know as they're leaving but it's not about them it's about engaging community it's about having real real conversations about that and you know there was one play here i think it was my mother has i think it's four noses or something like i can't remember the exact title And um, her mom had cancer. And so she really did have these prosthetic noses, but she had dementia. And this woman has the most beautiful voice and she has written these songs and used, you know, different um, musical instruments and tells these stories. I think I went and saw it four times and I'd always bring more people back because it was, and everyone's like, this is so powerful. And others are just acting out different situations that occur and, but again, the same outcome, this is so powerful, because it isn't that black and white kind of boring read or medical speak, it's about real life situations and how people handle things. And, you know, I just I just think with with the whole fairy dust, even having little packets of fairy dust that everybody can bring home with them as being symbolic, I, I just think it it sounds just wonderful and needed. Very, very much so. So I I love the creativity. I love that there's another book coming out, Anne, and you're gonna continue to kind of share this journey and educate people on the way. You know, maybe your mom's up in heaven just kind of pushing this along, going, Hey, honey, this is, these are the cards you've dealt, but we can still make it a fun and fruitful ride for you and, uh, and change the world so this doesn't happen to somebody else. I just love connecting with people on this level. It's just so fun to see all of the different ideas and, you know, when we share them with others, it inspires other people to go, Oh, maybe I could do that. Or, you know, I've been thinking about this. And if she did that, well, maybe I could, maybe I could make my idea work too. And it really that sharing of creativity really is kind of the the magic pixie dust that makes people believe in themselves again, which is such a such an important factor with all of this. Well, then we need to tell people how the heck to get a hold of you. So and Anne Scott's A-N-N-E, email A-N-N-E is at live.co.uk. She also has a Facebook page, and that is O C C H I dot o c h i a r i Um, and you can purchase the book on amazon as well and um, anastasia uh, people can go to your email which is outside lives management at gmail.com And the website is outsidelives.org. And then the Facebook page, um, put in outside-lives-ltd, and it should pop up for you there. Um, But thank you, ladies, for for sharing your brilliance and um, all the lovely work that you're doing to change our dementia care culture. I really do appreciate it. And for our listeners um, I'm sure you've picked up lots of fun little tips and are going to want to run out there and get that book, which I don't blame you. Please like, click and share this. Don't don't keep this kind of stuff a secret. This is exciting stuff and this can change the world one person at a time and you can be part of that. So thank you. Thank you,
1: Laura. Hey everybody, Jared Sebasti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements.